be able to show up and do a good job, first of all, you're probably not going to be successful. Or if you manage to fake it well enough, you're going to be miserable and probably make all the people under you miserable as well because they're like, you are not in the right job, dude. Like, get out of here. All right, y'all, I have recorded this intro probably four or five times at this point. I am just going to verbal vomit because we're tackling a really big topic today, which is narcissism. And I want to be really careful because I think that Instagram is kind of having a moment. It has been for a couple of years with diagnosing people as narcissists or talking about gaslighting, like it's really, really important that if you believe that you are in a relationship with a narcissist, whether that is romantic, friendship, work, whatever, if you believe truly that you might be in the crosshairs with a narcissist, then you need to seek a professional's help. I am going to put professional resources in the show notes for a therapist who has written a wonderful book called Should I Stay or Should I Go? That therapist has a whole network of therapists who they recommend for dealing with recovery from being in a relationship with a narcissist. Now, again, I am not a mental health professional myself. I have no business diagnosing anybody. But I do think it is important to have conversations and to listen to other people's life experiences because it may help somebody identify that they are in a bad situation and that they need to seek professional help. So my goal by the end of this episode is if you believe that you have been in a relationship with a narcissist or are currently... I hope you ask questions and start to really get to the bottom of whether or not that is true. And also if it is true, how you got there so that you can start to see how to get out. Okay. My guest today (laughs) is Nicole Christie. And when her agency pitched her, I lit up when I looked at her bio because she is, like me, a multi-hyphenate entrepreneur. She's super creative. She was in improv and comedy, and she's a four on the Enneagram with a three wing. I'm a two with a three wing. If you're under the Enneagram, you know how that all fits together. She also carved a really unique path for herself in and out of traditional corporate America. And that's why I really was interested in hearing from her because the first half of this conversation is going to be about being a multi-hyphenate creative person and building a career with multiple chapters and corporate roles, being a creative outlier in that world how she was able to identify her strengths and really lean into them. Moments where it required a lot of bravery and vulnerability on her part, which I think creative people are so much better at. Um, we, We don't mind being in a place where we have beginner's mind as much. 
the first half of this conversation really helped me feel less alone and less crazy as to why I absolutely hate (laughs) traditional office corporate environments um, and why I don't do my best work there unless I have a team and a manager who understands that I do my best work alone. I do my best work getting feedback after I've completed it. I don't do well in an office setting, et cetera, et cetera. She really asked some great questions about how can you set yourself up for success if you are in that type of environment. So that's the first half of the conversation. The second half of the conversation is where we talk about narcissism. And Nicole was in a relationship, a romantic relationship with a diagnosed narcissist. And in her recovery journey from that relationship, she started to see red flags in other people that crossed her path over the course of a decade. Listen, chances are like just math at some point, you will cross paths with a narcissist. There are more than you probably think. Um, I have, I certainly have both in work and in my personal life. And we really talk about red flags that you can look out for, not just in romantic relationships, but really important work relationships. And this was something that I hadn't really thought about much, frankly. It's not just like the normal level of annoyance, like, uh, my boss is, you know, bossy. (laughs) It's not about that. It's emotional manipulation, love bombing, making you feel less than, gradually seeping your self-confidence away. And it made me really sure that someone I used to work with is absolutely a narcissist. And again, I do not say that lightly. So this may be helpful if you have clients or coworkers who you have an inkling might not be treating you great and some ideas for what to do about that, how to move forward. I do have resources in the show notes, a therapist who wrote a book called Should I Stay or Should I Go, specifically about narcissism and recovery from narcissism. And uh, she also has a library of therapists who are trained, qualified, and well-versed in this if this is something that you think you need some professional help with. Okay. Long intro. Thanks for sticking with me. Again, first half of this conversation is about being a creative outlier in corporate America. Second half of this conversation is about recognizing and recovering from narcissism and emotional abuse. Okay. Thank you for being here. I love y'all. This is my favorite corner of the internet. Now go out there and find some magic. Nicole, thank you so much for being on Find Your Magic today. I It's an embarrassment of riches looking at all the topics that we could talk about in your media kit. But I really yeah. want to start with your story as your words, a creative outlier in corporate America. So tell us a little bit about you and why you identify as that. Sure. So I, most of my career has been as a writer um, and I kind of found my way into the corporate communication space when I graduated college. 
And I always, I mean, I started writing, I wrote my first short story when I was seven. I started writing chapter books in elementary school that my teachers would read at story time. And I would, all the kids in the class had a, had a character, you know, they were, it was all their actual names. So they thought it was exciting. But um, so I always knew growing up, I wanted to be a writer and I was like, am I going to, it's an author or, you know, do I want to be a screenwriter and a playwright? And I really dabbled in all of these different things, but then, you know, get out of college and you look for a sensible job. And I ended up in, in corporate communications, executive communications, internal communications, branding, all the different aspects of comms. Um, and so, but I think the interesting thing was that I always have had um, I'm a very like diligent and responsible person, but I have this really artistic, creative, free spirit. Mm. And that's a little bit odd in a corporate environment. I'm also a really independent worker. So th- that, you know, was you come into a workplace and there's a lot of collaboration and a lot of teamwork. And um, I'm always welcome to feedback, but creating things together, some of that was really challenging for me. And so it wasn't until I've had um, two lifetimes at Microsoft. So uh, from 2000 to 2004, then I went to New York, worked in a consulting firm for a while, had my own communications agency for 12 years, and then went back to Microsoft from 2017 to 2021. And now I'm out on my own doing storytelling, podcasting, and all the things again. (laughs) Um, But those two lifetimes in Microsoft, uh, especially the first one, I really had to figure out how to leverage my creativity and that free-spiritedness as a strength yes. and not a liability. And so some things that, you know, I found it was interesting the first lifetime, 2000 to 2004, I had a manager who who was very open to that. And that was unusual in the early aughts to have a manager who was like, hey, you know, um, work from home if you need to or work odd hours. Like I you know, I'm up at like seven in the morning or whatever, but I don't really start functioning till about 1030. And she was like, then come in at 1030. Oh my and, gosh. And- I actually want to, I want to yeah, dwell on me. this for just a moment because yes. I wish this was more common. I had a really similar experience where I was with a tech company mm-hmm. for three and a half years. And the yeah. person who brought me on was a manager who really understood this Yeah, same deal. I, when you were talking, I was like, oh my God, same, same, same. And I'm sure a lot of people are hearing that going same, same, same. Absolutely. I also, I can't concentrate in an office. There's Mm -mm. way too much happening. Like it's it, I need. Do you identify as a highly sensitive person? I do. Me too. Yeah. I do. Part of it. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want, even sometimes at home, I have my noise canceling headphones on to just, you know, the sound of a leaf blower or something. So yeah. Yes. And also when you are in a creative role, allowing yourself to follow inspiration when it comes is so important. And also um, when it's not there for that to be okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you really do like you did. And I did, you have to have a manager who understands that. And, yeah. um, and she's now uh, my friend, Tammy, one of my closest friends after being my shout manager. Out but, Tammy. Um, what up, shout Tammy. out to Tammy Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> she would hate it probably by her name, but she she wouldn't. Um, but I mean, I remember talking to her and saying, I can't guarantee because I was doing a ton of writing. I was managing production vendors and designers, you know, to, to bring all of the creative assets that I was building at Microsoft to life. And I would say, I can't guarantee that creativity is going to happen between the hours of nine and five. And I knew that my, I didn't, you know, start anything till like 1030 in the morning. I even to now my creative um, sort of time block is 1030 to 130. And also that's 1030 to 130 AM and PM, oddly enough, but I try 
try to manage to one or the other as much as I can, or I'd never sleep. Um, and she was very understanding of that. It's like, I I can't, I'm not, I'm not going to come here and sit here and, and, and promise you that it'll happen between those hours. Um, so yes. And I also think that um, for in the tech industry, it might be a little bit more forgiving of an industry in general, because mm-hmm. um, people don't tend to think of tech and, you know, Microsoft being one of the big tech companies as being a creative place or a place where creative people, but software developers are actually quite creative. They just, their tool is code. Agreed. And people think of that as techie and logical and math science STEM oriented. No, um, they're a magicians. Lot of 100%. <laughs> and they would come in at like noon and work until, you know, four in the morning. I mean, they so there was some precedent, I think for me, and sounds like for you as well in the tech industry that, you know, come as you are is an important um, sort of tenet of of tech companies because they're just like, we want you to be free to do what you need to do to do your best work at this company. Microsoft is still that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I had managers who were understanding of that and then being in the communication space um, was helpful because you're with other people who are creative. And I just really had to carve that niche, which I did in that first iteration. And it was really almost like I ran my own business. I mean, my yeah. manager was like, here's your budget. Here are the things you need to create this fiscal year. Go. Let me know if you need something. Um, the second time from 2017 to 2021, I went back um, having had my own agency. I went back and was like, I want to do something different in the communication space. I'm a writer. I'm a storyteller. I've done all the things writing in this communication space, but I want to do something different. Didn't really know what it was. And two years in, one of my colleagues, not even a manager, said, hey, so we're creating this talk show sort of thing, like a webinar series for our customers called Modern Communications. Um, Does anybody want to host these? It's like six episodes. Um, It's produced at Microsoft as their own production studios at Microsoft Mm. Studios. You'd be at studios. It's on camera. You're doing interviews live in the moment with the communications leaders at the company who have done really, really, and some of the HR leaders too have done really cool things. And I have an improv background. Same. And I felt like, well, why? <laughs> I was like, I love this. I was like, I go? You know, I um, was an actress for 10 years. I was reading your bio. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, we need to talk about uh, we need to- upright citizens and, oh, and my God. groundlings. So, <laughs> yes, we so need to talk about that. Yeah, I, I studied with uh, Holly Mandel, who's a groundlings alum, and Amazing. Armando Diaz, who was Second City, and got yeah. a little uh, dabble in each, but... Yeah, we're nerding the, out, guys. We're nerding we're out. Nerding These are out names. on improv, and I and I and I miss it in many ways. But there are only so many so many hours in the day, right? Yes. Um. But yeah, I thought that I, you know, I could bring my here. It was an opportunity to talk about communications, which was what my career had been built on. But then on the side, I'd been doing improv. I'd been writing essays, doing comedy writing. You know, was not part of my like formal career or anything that was other than you know like a day job in any way. But um, so I had this opportunity to do that. And that was when I was like, oh, all of my skill sets just came together at Microsoft because I raised my hand mm. when I saw an opportunity. Um, and I didn't do it immediately, though. When he said that, I was like, well, why would anybody want me? I'm not like one of the executives at the company. I'm not a senior leader. I, you know, And so I just kind of like was very shy and essentially sat on my hand. And no one else volunteered. So he just said, listen, if anybody thinks about it, I need to know by the end of the day. And I, wow, it burned a hole in my brain all day. And then I ended up writing him and saying, I want to do this because I have an improv background. I'm obviously a communicator, but also um, 
I just want to do the one episode about internal comms because that's what I have the most experience in. Mm -hmm. And I'm traveling a ton, you know, and he was like, we're going to work around your schedule. You're going to host the whole series. So I ended up getting this whole new skill set in a creative way, working with production people, uh, you know, producers, directors, lighting, sound, post-production and learning that whole craft. And then my manager at the time was like, we want to start a podcast at Microsoft to document um, that Microsoft was sort of changing the role of the manager and how they Mm. showed up. And we want to talk to our senior leaders about their journey as people managers and how it's Mm. evolved and how it's different. And um, would you want to host this podcast? So I was like, once again, like raising my hand for these opportunities, being in the right place at the right time is certainly part of it. But also just being like, I am a creative person. And I was looking to do something different in the comm space and the storytelling space. I still was writing, I was still writing for the series, you know, I'm writing the interviews, doing all the pre production, I'm writing the podcast, the Mm -hmm. questions and doing the show research and show prep. So (laughs) um, yeah, that's carving out a niche, you know, but but looking for that niche and seeing how I can fill it. Yes, so many things. Okay. Uh huh. Creative people are the bravest people because <laughs> because you have to have an extreme willingness to be vulnerable. Like yes. talk about vulnerable. Improv is the most vulnerable thing on 100%. the planet. Like think about this, people getting up in front of a, an audience, a live audience, and having to be funny on purpose and mm-hmm. having absolutely no idea what's going to happen. It just you either are or you aren't. It's the most yeah. vulnerable thing in the world. It was so 100%. vulnerable. I couldn't do it after a few classes, you know, it You're was like, I, that's lasted, good. but I like yeah. being in the audience more than I like being on the stage. Right. Right. Point being creative people. I think we shame ourselves out of following the impulse to be vulnerable because we think we're supposed to be corporate leaders mm-hmm. in air quotes because we have a certain yes. skill set already right right yes and what you said that i really want to call attention to was that it allowed you that saying yes and being vulnerable and not having experience because you were creative allowed you to gain an entirely new skill set right yeah and here's the really cool thing about being creative in a non-creative environment. (laughs) The more creative shit you do, the more people turn to you as the creative person. Oh, 100%. Yeah. (laughs) And I have a beatnik bobblehead in my office that my manager 20 years ago gave me. It's like a, like a dude with a black turtleneck and like little glasses. And she was like, you're the creative person on our team. So yay, have this bobblehead. And I still have it. Yeah. And the more you lean into it. Yes. And the more you lean into it and the more you're, the more you nerd out about things. Yes. That's what people remember about you. And I think we're so afraid of not appearing quote unquote professional that we don't raise our hand or we don't come to the table with the idea for a podcast, right? Like say you're in a company Mm -hmm. who doesn't have a podcast, has no plans for a podcast, but you're like, you know what we could do? We could start a podcast. Uh Uh-huh. And it might feel some sort of need. And I love what you said too about, you know, when you're in a corporate environment, I, when you're capable, you show your capabilities. People tend to, in corporations, tend to want to 
um, pigeonhole you or put you onto that vertical path of like, you're a great writer. We want to put you on at Microsoft, they call it the bench, right? We want to put you on the bench for management leadership. Like, um, and I was like, mm. no, like I knew that was 100% <laughs> not what I was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but early in my career, I think I played around with it because I was too afraid, right? It's like, well, I, I've chosen this. I've made yeah. my bed so long. Well, I'm so supposed become... to want this. Yes. I call it devil wears Prada syndrome where, totally. you know, where he's yep. like, Andy, a million girls would kill for this job. Yes. Doesn't matter if it's not you. <laughs> and it's exactly. And it's those traditional sort of trappings of yeah. material success. Like I'm going to go be the chief communications officer or the chief creative officer. And, and, you know, I, I, kind of toyed with that a little bit. And then it was like, and also, you know, it's like not just thinking about what are you good at and what do you like to do, but what is your personality? And mm. if you're a highly sensitive, introverted, independent person, it sounds like you're that, I'm that, we're not really built for that. And so yeah. to put yourself in that position and not be able to show up and do a good job, first of all, you're probably not going to be successful. Or if you manage to fake it well enough, you're going to be miserable and probably make all the people under you miserable as well because they're like, you are not in the right job, dude. Like, get out of here. So um, that took me a while to realize because I would look around the table in corporate America and see all these people that seem to be thriving and wonder what was wrong with me. Oh, what is wrong? Can with we me? just repeat that up? again? Yeah. <laughs> Looking around at all these other people who yeah. seem to be thriving, mm-hmm. asterisk on seem. Yep. And but fine. I look at myself and wonder what's wrong with me. Why yeah, can't we- I just be grateful? Yeah. Or why can't I seem to step up the way that they are? Why is it so hard mm. for me? And realizing that or thinking there was something wrong with me, or you're thinking something's wrong with you you're in the wrong environment. Yeah. It's just, it's just the wrong, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not that, um, something that I've, uh, I've said before is like, you have to make sure you're in the right game mm-hmm. and corporate is a game and entrepreneurship is a game. And each one of them have pros and cons. And you know, the, the, the cons of corporate America don't suit me. I don't understand how to play office politics. I Mm. don't deal with bureaucracy well. I'm not a great collaborator in the sense of working together. I want to go work independently and then bring it back and have people give me feedback. Or my manager at Microsoft, I had several, one of them said, you kind of work well with the Hollywood model, which you're familiar with as a former actress, where you've got lighting, you've got you know, sound, you have the talent, you have the producers, everybody has their own swim lane, but they know how to come together and sort of put their hands on each other's backs. Mm. And they might have feedback about, hey, the way you wrote this, it's real hard to light that. Like, I I, I can't do this, this, we need to talk about it. Um, but what would happen in a lot of my corporate jobs would people, their idea of collaboration was doing my job. Like, no, mm. please don't write what I'm doing. I'll write it. I want your feedback. Absolutely. So that's kind of a, you know, but then entrepreneurship has its own ups and downs that some people, I have so many friends who are like, I could never handle the volatility of this. Yeah. I need to like contribute to my 401k. Our, I like figuring out all the personalities. I like leading. I like growing people and managing people. That's actually my favorite part of my job. It's not the content of what I do. And that's a very different game. So it's really like, you know, know the game that you're in and make sure it's the right one for you. Yeah, that's so true. Well, and one of the indicators is to me as a highly sensitive person, as someone who I had a really similar um, experience as you did, where I had a wonderful 
manager who really understood all of that about me, but Mm -hmm. I had to understand it about myself first because when this company first brought me in, they wanted like a very traditional, like we want you to be a content director. And I was Mm -hmm. like, probably like looking at the job description, like Uh this, this makes me palpitate. This is what I would need in order to be someone who works for you regularly. I actually was like, can I just be like a 1099 freelance contractor? Because this makes me freak out. Uh But they worked with me to make a role that, you know, enabled me to really help grow the company. That's so beautiful. And then, and this is the next topic I really want to dig into with you. My team changed and that all of that like wonderful symbiosis just went out the window. And you, on one of your topics, you speak about how to identify narcissism in a corporate environment. Um, and I think that that is something that we don't really talk about a lot with co yeah. in the terms of coworkers or yeah. um, work. And I also, you know, y'all, I want to be really careful. I know that the word narcissism is extremely charged. I am mm-hmm. not a licensed medical professional. I'm not trying to diagnose anybody. Yeah. But I do want to acknowledge that like there is a difference between my boss is annoying and like this person has some serious issues that have nothing to do with me and like maybe I should remove myself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um yeah, I'm with you. I'm not a, a therapist. Um, I went through recovery for narcissistic abuse from a relationship. Um, and uh, and in addition to Microsoft, I mentioned I had like a consulting job in New York and I had a couple of other chapters of my career. Those were just the two biggest ones. So yes, along my career path, I, you know, we've all encountered those personalities. Um, but yes, I did have one colleague in particular um, that I had to work very closely with. And I did not realize that what was happening until I went into narcissistic abuse recovery for the romantic, romantic relationship that I was in, yeah. that what I'd been experiencing was narcissism there too. And again, mm-hmm. even my therapist would say, I can't diagnose someone that's not sitting right in front of you. I can just tell you that the behavior you're experiencing is consistent with narcissistic abuse. Yes. Um, People who aren't narcissists, we all, everyone has a little bit of narcissism in them, or you might have one or two things you do that are characteristic, but it doesn't qualify you as a narcissist, or there's that too. Um, Yeah, so some of the things that I uh, was recognizing as I went through this recovery from the other relationship was that, oh, I have experienced this at work as well. Hmm. Also, another thing is that- Because of course. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, of course it doesn't only show up no. In romantic relationships. It shows right? up in parenting a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not speaking to my personal experience, but I have a, a few friends who talked with me about that. And they're like, yeah, I have a narcissistic parent. It shows up in friendships. Um, yeah. And I've certainly had narcissistic friendships throughout my lifetime that I now recognize that I didn't understand at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's and one of the other interesting things is that narcissism, and again, we're not diagnosing anybody, it right. can show up differently in and males and females. And there's something- which you mentioned before we hit record and that yeah. blew my mind. And I was like, I can't wait to talk about that. Oh yeah. So I'll, I mean, I'll just, 
And there's some of this to some degree. Well, narcissism, what I learned also is it exists on a spectrum. And so everybody thinks of the narcissist as somebody that's like, you know, they drive a real fancy car and they're flashy and it's lots of selfies. That is what, what, you know, my therapist would call the grandiose side of the spectrum. It goes all the way down to like covert narcissists who prey on your vulnerability, telling Mm. a sob story. Um, There are communal narcissists who um, get attention through doing good deeds. Um, Mm. There are neglectful narcissists, which is you only exist as supply. You don't really, you're not a human being with feelings or emotions or experiences or friendships or a life of your own. Um, those are just a few, but there's a spectrum and, and there's lots of different ways this present presents. So I think it's important to look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, women tend to what one of the one of the big red flags for me, and, and this does occur, you know, with men as well, but um, they push vulnerability really quickly. So they'll be like, boom, you're my very best friend and, and just latch onto you. And that is the experience that I had with this colleague. And I felt sorry for her. Because she was walking into a difficult situation at this company that I was working at. Um, and so I immediately, my, I have issues with codependency and rescuing and fixing and taking care of people. I I'm immediately, kind of check we're the same person. <laughs> Are you an INFJ also? Sure by the way? Are you a type four on the Enneagram? <laughs> I am a two wing three. So when okay, I, okay. when I am, um, like when you're integrated is, versus I'm integrated, stressed. I'm a four. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I'm a four wing three. So that's so funny. And so when I'm, I think when I'm integrated, I go to one or something like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, which one is like a close, I'm like four and then three and then one or whatever. So that's so funny. We're the that's same hilarious. Person, basically. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I was jumping in to help this woman. Like, oh my gosh, you're new. Don't worry about it. Let me take care of that. Um, and pretty soon, I was, you know, enmeshed with this person Mm. and it was very hard to back out of. And she was kind of a superior to me also. So I'm like, oh God, you know, how do you back out of this? But um, there was a love bombing that happened. So Mm. when she first started at the company, she bought gifts for the team. Like, you know, I was like, oh, and then you're thinking, oh, this is so nice or whatever. I look back on that. I'm like, that was the first sign of like a love bombing, which is normally what you would experience in a romantic relationship that was happening from someone who was immediately trying to get into all these people at work. And that's not to say that someone who is not narcissistic might not buy gifts of like, thank you so much for having me. And it's exciting to be here. But, it, you know, it's one of those things that now I'll go tick. And just like mm, little yellow flag, put it up and watch for what else comes. Um, yeah. But yes, the, you know, woe is me. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, help me. Uh, you're so good at this, right? Like you're Ooh. so, you're so good at this. Can you just do this? You know, and, 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 and then a lot. And then the other thing that will come is like a dig will come. So there's a narcissistic phase of like the dig and the devalue and the discard. So it's like, Hmm, this is interesting because, you know, I mean, normally you're really good at this, but um, I'm and now it's like they're going to tear you down. So first it was the build up, right? The love bombing and to buy you a bunch of stuff, tell you how great you are, get you to help me with things, make, you know, connect me, take care of things, do my job for me in some. And I, I am, by the way, complicit in all of this, but for unaware sure. at the time. Now it would be my hackles would be all over the place before, you know, I would get enmeshed in this the way that I did. And then once they've got you, then it's like, now I'm going to tear you down. I built you mm-hmm. up to get what I need from you. And now I'm going to tear you down. You know, this work isn't really that good. Or they take credit for it. That oh, happened. Oh, that's a huge one. That's Multiple a huge times. one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I and mean, sometimes and, at the same time. 
Yeah, right? totally. They'll tear you down for it, but then present it as their own work. Yes. So that yeah. was a that was a way that it really showed up. And I was not the only person that experienced this from this woman, which on the other, on the one hand, um, made me feel better. On the other hand, was really fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> just say that. Um yeah. yeah. So uh that was that was kind of part of it, right? And then it's the okay, I don't, you know, maybe you're you're on to me now or I don't really need you anymore. And so it's like that you kind of just feel like you're not getting opportunities. Suddenly you're pushed to the side. Wait a second. I thought I was like doing a good job. I was getting good review. Where, where is this coming from? Yeah. And that is kind of like, even though it's not gaslighting in the way that it shows up in like a friendship or a particular romantic relationship, mm -hmm. I felt like I was being gaslit without even knowing. I didn't even know what that word was, you know, mm -hmm. um, of, of like my reality wasn't my reality. Wait a minute. I thought I was good at this. And, and, and you liked my work. You took credit for my work and what, yeah. So it can show up in that way. Um, and, and it, yeah, I mean, if you, as a woman who worked with a lot of other women, not a lot at Microsoft, but in other chapters of my career, that for me, that, that is the biggest thing that like, let me get my hands into you right away and tell you how amazing you are. Love bomb you force vulnerability, like sharing things that in retrospect, weren't really appropriate, not just wow. because we were colleagues, um, but because we didn't know each other well. And so it was like, let me force that vulnerability real quick. And now I, when I see that, I go, Oh, yeah, I can't. I got to Can be you speak to forced vulnerability a little bit? Are you saying that they would be vulnerable mm -hmm. like at you or they would try to get you to be vulnerable with them or both? Both. Both, both, definitely both. Um, and I would say initially it was more they're trying to be vulnerable because they know that they will um, break your walls down by doing that. Mm. And then, you know, I start divulging things. And this was something that I remember I, I witnessed it both in a professional setting and in my romantic relationship that I brought up with my therapist. I was like, here's something weird that happens. Um, and I was speaking more to the romantic relationship. But then when I reflected back on this colleague, I was like, this is exactly what she would do to me. I would, because the other person has let their guard down, seemingly. It's not really. They're just making it look like they're vulnerable with you. So you now are like, oh, we're close. Um, I would share really vulnerable things. And they would just basically let me sit there and bleed and stare mm -hmm. at me almost like, huh. And either wow. not do anything or be like, wow, that's weird, you know, or criticize it. What was happening though, is that they were tattooing this vulnerability on their brains. This is such a fucked up thing. I just yeah. need to say how fucked up. No, and it's not I, intentional. It's not, it is literally not, they're not saying they're going, I'm going to remember this for later. They tattoo this vulnerable experience, leave me sort of laying bleeding on the ground. And then shortly after, it could be a couple of days, it could be a couple of weeks, when I'm going through another vulnerable moment, bring that back and stab me in the Achilles heel with it. So an example would be, you know, maybe I would be sitting out of the balcony with my husband. And I'd be like, I'm just having this moment where I'm remembering something, you know, when I was a kid, this happened. And I think it really screws me up and I, and I get in my own way about it. And it's probably something I need to fix. I should bring it up with my therapist. He would stare at me and just, mm, Wow. And then it would come back like days later when I would have another, he'd be like, remember that thing that you said? Like, I, you know, what, what the fuck is with that? Right. So, and so that's like a very concrete example of like, they're going to take in your vulnerability. They're put, they're putting their wall up. You're not going to get any vulnerability because it was like right. a ploy to get you to share. 
And then now it comes back at you and you're like, I can't let my guard down with you because it will be used as a weapon. And my therapist who specializes in narcissistic abuse, that is a classic technique. I don't remember what it's called. There's a word for it, but she was like, it is a classic technique that they are, you know, and it's part of the breaking you down. Yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) I'm like, I have goosebumps because I, Oh, I hesitate to really talk about it, but there I was also in what I now understand was not a healthy mm-hmm. relationship in that way. Yeah. And uh, I've never heard that pattern described. And that's exa- I mean, exactly like the yeah. the blank. Uh-huh. Stare. Yeah. Like there's just yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's almost like vulnerability equals ammo. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Ooh. And you, and you feel, uh, I, I mean, I literally just was sharing it with my therapist as something I'd observed of like, mm-hmm. this is a weird thing that happens. How do I deal with that? You know, how do I protect myself? And she was like, that is a classic narcissistic move. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm going to leave you bleeding and raw and feeling terrible about yourself. And exactly it. Now I have ammo to use against you in the future to make yeah. sure you continue to f- feel bad about yourself so I can feel superior or, you know, yeah. Yeah. And I do think that it is an important um, distinction to make where <laughs> narcissists don't think that they're narcissists. Like it's not a conscious decision that someone's no. making, like rubbing their hands together, like, Ooh, yay. Oh, you know, that is, Nicole's yes. being vulnerable. That's not what's happening. Um no. And if you are on the other side of it, it's really easy to slip over time into feeling an immense sense of responsibility um, and a false sense of control Mm -hmm. over how you are being perceived by this person. Yes. Um, One of the things that I noted in my own recovery with codependency is that desperately trying to recreate the connection that you had at the beginning. Boom. And that absolutely applies at work. Yes. And friendships and like all of the above, but I never really thought about it in terms of work politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it it 100% comes into play. There are people who will Get their get their claws into you because they're going to get what they need, and then when they don't need what they need anymore, mm. yeah, they start breaking you down. So, how do we recognize earlier that this is happening before it gets to this point? Right? Like, I I, I always am curious how people <laughs> sort of prevent, um, not prevent the rock bottom, but maybe catch right. it earlier so you don't have to have such a bad rock bottom. Maybe. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, not, not a mental health therapist, but I can share what I learned. Yes. Um, which is recognizing those kinds of signs. Mm-hmm. Someone who is, who uh, is, um, and, and people who are narcissistic, whether it's a, a work relationship, a friendship, they're going to try to force that really quickly. Cause here's, and again, I'm speaking from my own experience. They can't wear the mask that long. Yeah. 
So the faster that they essentially trauma bond you, <laughs> yeah. um, which is what it is. It's not love. It's not uh, collaboration and professional partnership. It is you become trauma bonded to someone. The faster they can do that. So the more they force vulnerability, intimacy, any of that. So just being able to put the brakes on any relationship. And one technique I learned, this is a visualization of just put up the white light. I put mm-hmm. up a wall. I go, ho, ho. And I recognize that. I recognize when someone is trying to get close to me very quickly. And it's like, hold on a second. Another um, good analogy, um, a therapist I had in Seattle when I lived there said, um, you need to get better at putting up your chain link fence. Mm -hmm. So when your intuition, when your hackles rise, and that's learning somatic and learning to pay attention to your body and what it's telling you. Mm -hmm. um, When you're like, huh, that seems off. She said, I have a dog and we live on a corner lot My dog loves to interact with the dogs and the people that walk by. If I don't have a fence, my dog can run out, get hit by a car, get in a fight with the dog. If I put up a wood fence, nothing happens. She has no interaction at all. And she's lonely and sad. If I put up a chain link fence, she can still interact and stick her nose through. People can pet her, but she's protected. She was Mm. like, that's what you need to do is learn to put that chain link fence up. I love that image. Oh, it's the best. That and the white light, right? Just put your shield of white light up and be like, okay, I need to block this energy. It doesn't feel right. Cause that's exactly what you don't want to do is have to go back. I did the same thing. I can, I actually know the moment with Mm. my now ex-husband that that mask fell off. Mm. I remember the moment. And all I did for 10 years beyond that point (laughs) is try to get back to those first 60 days. And you do not want to be in that position, whether you're with somebody that you work with or you're friends with, or is, you know, whatever, whatever relationship romantically. So yeah, I think just paying attention and and not being afraid to protect yourself, even yeah. if you feel like, oh, I'm being defensive. I'm not letting that put that chain link fence up, pay attention to what you see, educate yourself. If you think you've been in this situation before, read about narcissistic behavior and relationships yeah. and what some of these signs are. But the biggest one is always the love bomb, the gifts, the um, vulnerability, the listening to you. You're so interesting. It's hard because that's what people should do anyway. It feels great. It feels great. It feels great. Yeah. You're like, this person <laughs> is so into me. And it's. It, I think it's difficult because there's a normal level of that and there's a not normal level. Yeah. So it's really training yourself to like pay attention to your gut or maybe err on the side of caution yeah. and put that chain link fence up kind of right from the beginning. I can reach through and I can connect with you, but I'm being very protective of like, mm. are you trying to get, are you trying to force vulnerability or intimacy with me? Um, are you trying to get me to do things that really aren't normal, like your job or yeah. um, meeting family super quickly? That has happened before. Mm. Um, so yeah, looking for those kinds of signs right at the get-go so that you don't hit that rock bottom place. Yeah. Oh, that's so helpful. That's so, so helpful. And also, I think I would just add, ask questions. I feel like for me, I wasn't, when I was in a place where, so when you're in that place, when you're in one of these relationships, no matter where, no matter the mm-hmm. container, yep. um, you, you doubt your own judgment. Mm-hmm. And that is the hardest part because you sort of have overridden your intuition so many times Mm -hmm. and you've had your, your analysis questioned by this person so many times that you start to kind of be like, well, shit, are they right? 
Uh-huh. You're gaslit. <laughs> so, yeah, yes. Yep. So just starting with asking questions is a really nice gateway to mm-hmm. making decisions. You know? I love that. Yeah. Yes. Um, and not, uh, yeah, just putting the questions out there mm-hmm. and then, you know, doing the work that you can to learn to trust your intuition. I mean, there's therapy, right. there's journaling, there's looking back on all the times your gut told you something and you denied it because you couldn't find physical evidence or because somebody gaslit you into believing it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even like when I said, I remember that, that moment that the mask fell off. Yeah. I remember going to therapy and my therapist was like, why were you crying in the shower? And I was like, I don't know. I just feel like maybe I I haven't been in a relationship for so long and it was so beautiful. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. If that happened now, I'd be like, whoa, what was that? Mm. Um, So just trying to like learn to tap into your body and asking questions and pairing those things. The questions are great because they get to the cerebral part of things because it's Mm -hmm. hard to listen to your body or your intuition. That takes some work to learn to do that. But when you put those questions out there and you get some concrete answers or lack of answers or answers that don't make any sense, and those can help you tap into your intuition because you're like, what? That didn't really answer the question or that person didn't really answer it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And also being really honest with yourself about what the answers are. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really hard because I think often you want something to be true so badly that you overlook a lot of all the flags, red flags, all the flags. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no green flags. Yeah. You want it so badly. Um, You want it to be what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And just having a lot of compassion for yourself. If you do find yourself in one of these situations. And, you know, one of the things I learned from my therapist when I was going through recovery is she said, narcissists choose the best people because they need the best supply. They're going to choose the people. Everyone always thinks, oh, they chose somebody weak. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to choose somebody strong, empathetic, giving, compassionate, vulnerable, all of those things. So she was like, you have to know you are the, you are a great source of supply. That is a lot for you. But how do you turn that back on yourself? And fall in love when you fall in love with yourself first, which is a weird thing to say, but you know, you don't worry about if somebody else doesn't choose you. You know, I read something the other day about like, I just want to be with someone who's afraid to lose me. And I was like, I'm afraid to lose me. Yeah. I I lost me before. So no, I don't want to be with someone who's afraid to lose me. I want to not be afraid. That's not even the word, but I want to be the one that's like, uh uh, I'm holding on to me. And if you don't like me or you don't, bring what I need to the table, that's okay. But like this has to, and this is where, you know, the narcissistic of like, you know, just reeling you in so quickly, mm-hmm. you, you just lose your mind. You're high on oxytocin and you know, mm-hmm. not even really thinking about it. So high yeah. Like, how do you... That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. Okay. Last piece of this puzzle. How do we get out? How do we, what do we do about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, having a therapist who specializes in narcissistic abuse is really important. Yes. Um, and, and uh, you know, I found mine through um, Dr. Romani Dervasula is kind of an expert in this space. She's uh, got an office in Santa Monica, but she has a network of therapists she works with because she's pretty well known and so doesn't take on a lot of private clients anymore. Um, but we'll you know, put looking that her up, resource in the show notes yeah, if possible. Please yeah. do. She's great. And she wrote, should I stay or should I go? 
which mm. is a book that I read at the beginning of when I realized what was happening. A friend said to me, do you think this is what is happening to you? I read the book. It's how I got introduced to her and it's how I got found my therapist. Um, mm. But getting working with someone who specializes in that because um, one of the things she taught me is they don't change. Yeah. They don't change. And part of what is what you said, they're not aware. If you were aware, you might have to be accountable for your behavior. So there's not awareness. So what you have to decide is, can I stay in this relationship and do the best to get my needs met outside of that? And by that, I mean your emotional needs from friends, family, community, neighbors, whatever, um, or do I need to go? And she said to me, it's not my job to tell you to stay or go. I have clients who are like, I have children. I can't leave financially. I actually love this person. Um, and others who are like, nope, I got to go. Either way, building the emotional toolbox was really important um, of learning to uh, disengage was the yeah. biggest thing. Don't engage. It's always a bait for your energy. Even when it's negative, even if you're angry, they get energy from that. So don't, don't engage, just learn. That was a very hard thing. And also there's no convincing everybody or using an I statement or I feel this or any of that crap that you learn in couples therapy. I'm not, I don't mean to say it's crap, but it just doesn't <laughs> no, work it's in a this sort of a dynamic. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, it's like trying to paint a house with oil. It doesn't. Yeah. yeah. My mom used to say to me, have you told him that, you know, try to like get me to appeal to logic. And I was like, eventually I did that for almost a decade. And then I finally was like, this isn't actually what it's about because mm -hmm. this isn't a person that is interested in engaging and building anything. This is always a game. So my answer was just go silent, go quiet. Um, some therapists call that gray rocking. Hmm. Like don't respond to anything. So that's kind of the first step is working with a therapist to help you survive in it until you can safely get out of it. And I don't mean safely physically, although some people might be experiencing sure. physical abuse and that's a different animal um, right. that probably requires you to leave sooner and have a different sort of plan. But um, but that's really the first thing is building that emotional toolkit to just be able to deal with this dynamic, whether it's at work or in your personal relationship. And then um, when you do leave, I mean, for me, it took me a year and a half from the moment I knew what I was dealing with to actually walk away from my yeah. marriage. It took a yeah. year and a half to be 10 months of therapy, feel like I had the emotional toolbox. Then I went and got my physical body strong. So my outsides matched my insides. I was like, I got this backbone of titanium, but I need my body to feel strong. And then just one day I was like, it's time. You're ready mm -hmm. to go. You have to go when you're strong enough for any fight that's ahead of you because it can be ugly. Mm -hmm. um, and also you have to be strong enough to not get reeled back. Because yeah. the reeling back attempts that in that sort of a dynamic, and it happens at work too, when you, yeah. you know, say you want to quit or you want another job, um, all of the love bombing and stuff will start again. I'll change and blah, blah, blah. Um, it, you have to be strong enough to be like, no, I'm done. I have my emotional toolbox. I'm strong. I know my worth. I know my value. Mm -hmm. um, that's really, you know, kind of, kind of the key to it. And then once you go, you have to go no contact. Yeah, because any contact at all. I mean, I lost my cats. I had to, you know, initially it was like, oh, you could, you know, he lives a half mile away from me. You know, when I'm traveling, you can come see them. And I thought that'll be great. And then I had a friend who said, this is a bid for your energy. Yeah. Even if he's not in his own home when you're taking care of these cats, you can't do this. You'll never yeah. heal because he knows how to get into your energy. 
So you have to kind of go no contact and yeah, just protect yourself. Yeah. Uh, easy peasy guys. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's one of the, it is, uh, the hardest battle I've fought. Um, yeah. you know, and I went through cancer at the same time that I was going through this and oh, this yeah. battle was far more difficult. Um, but I got to the other side, you know, with my faith in humanity. Someone said, how do you get, how do you keep your faith in humanity? I don't really know. Um, other than here's what I will say to people who are in this dynamic. It's not about you. Yeah. It's never about you. I've had people say, why would he treat someone like that? Or why would your colleague treat someone? Because it's not about me. It's one of the other great things that my therapist taught me. You're just supply, which on the one hand feels real shitty. But when you realize, oh, I'm just supply. It's not about I'm a bad person. I'm dumb. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm weak or any of the things that like I've started to believe about myself because I've been gaslit into it from Mm -hmm. this colleague or, you know, person you're in a relationship with or a friend who's really mean to you. Um, It's not about you. They're just looking for someone. And and that's why they discard and move on quickly because they're like, oh, I need my supply. My oxygen dried up. Um, They'll just go find someone else and do the same and find another strong person that, you know, is, is willing to work with them and give them what they need because you think that you're being a good partner and stepping up and meeting them halfway, but you're actually giving away your soul. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. That is such a, was a really deep dive and I really appreciate you going there with this. Yeah, sure. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Um, I will, for those listening, I'm going to look up um, the therapist that Nicole shared, the book that she shared, and also maybe a couple of resources, um, just because again, neither one of us are mental health professionals. Yes. We are not yes. doctors. Um, but you know, if you have an inkling, I think it's really valuable to just start gathering information and start yep. asking questions. Absolutely. And see where the answers lead you. It's always good to educate yourself on a topic like this because it's so much more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Then people realize because it's not just, you know, the person with selfies and the flashy car. It's coming in all those different forms mm-hmm. in all types of relationships. I guarantee most people interact with someone with these tendencies and some more toxic than others. But it's it's a topic that I think we need to discuss more. And it happens to the best of us, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really not. I think people do think, you know, oh, I'm I'm a strong person or I, you know, whatever it is. That just not happening. It's it can happen to anybody and it can happen to the very best people and often does. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I hope that's of service. Yes. Thank you so much for being here, Nicole. Where can people find you and follow you and interact with you? Sure. So uh, my website is nicolechristie.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E. You'll probably put it in the show notes too. Um, And I'm on Instagram, uh, Nicole J. Christie, also on Facebook at Nicole J. Christie. And um, my podcast is called Here For Me, H-E-R-E. And it's about the power of choosing yourself and how the best self-care comes from the inside. So self-awareness, self-compassion, self-respect, self-integrity, the things that I learned walking through a number of life crises, health issues, <laughs> narcissistic abuse, leaving a job, starting a business in the, a period of three years, all during the pandemic. Wow. Um, that's the lesson that I learned of like, we have to choose ourselves. We have to be here for ourselves. So yes, uh, if people want to check that out. You can listen anywhere you listen to your podcasts. I love it. Well, thank you again for being here. You guys go follow Nicole and go find your magic. 
All right, y'all know I'm about to ask you to subscribe to Find Your Magic on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you found us today. It truly helps podcasters pay their teams, find better guests, and give you good content. So if you want to hear more conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship, be sure to subscribe to Find Your Magic and leave us a review. Thanks for being here. Now go out there and find your magic.